You know, I don't really know what it is about this morning coming, maybe it's because we're coming off of the holidays and there's kind of a sense in which as enjoyable as they can be, um, this just feels good to kind of start again, doesn't it? And um, take a big sigh and say, okay, the year is before us. And um, so I have a couple preliminary remarks before we get to the time in the Word together this morning to begin the new year. Um, first, I just want to, on a lighter note, I want to uh, certainly uh, thank Terry Heft and Pastor Terry and uh, with the blessing he has been through these months of COVID. In many ways, I don't know what I would have done without Terry as far as uh, his support and uh, he's just been such a sidekick in this internship and uh, certainly has been a huge blessing in helping us with our uh, technical end of things and having messages out there for you from the very beginning. Um, he brought his giftedness and abilities with him for that and uh, I'm just very grateful, uh, Terry, and uh, thankful for you. Also, uh, on a, a, a much lighter note, uh, uh, Jeff and Dee, um, just be especially kind to them today because um, <laughs> Jeff has been a longtime uh, avid fan of the 49ers, and, um, and we won't remove membership or anything because of that. Um, but uh, Dee, is, uh, she's all for the, all for the Hawks, and so um, they, this comes around a couple times every year, and so I'm always thinking of them and uh, wondering if they may need counseling after the game or just what. <laughs> yes, I see that back there. <laughs> No, they, uh, it's actually a lot of fun. If you ever enjoy watching a game with Jeff and Dee, uh, it, it, it's almost as, yes, watch Dee. It's almost uh, as thrilling as the game itself. Let's see here. Well, this morning I, I began my morning with feeding Tozer, uh, my dog Tozer, and then being fed by Tozer, A.W. Tozer. I have Tozer all around me, but you know, I, I wanted to start with this. Do Dr. Tozer, in this book of his uh, 365 readings, began the year in this way, and I, I, th I just thought it was so good. He said, he's, his text of scripture was Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And uh, Dr. Tozer, clear back in the mid to late 60s, wrote these words, and I thought how uh, pertinent and timely they are, especially when we think about the past year we've just all passed through, and then the year before us. And Dr. Tozer wrote this. He said, every new year is an uncharted and unknown sea. No ship has ever sailed this way before. The wisest of earth's sons and daughters cannot tell us what we may encounter on this journey. Familiarity with the past may afford us a general idea of what we may expect, but, but just where the rocks lie hidden beneath the surface, or when the tempestuous winds may howl, 
may sweep down upon us suddenly, no one can say with certainty. And then he wrote this. Now more than at any other time for generations, the believer is in a position to go on the offensive. The world is lost on a wide sea, and Christians alone know the way to the desired haven. While things are going well, the world scorned them with their Bibles and their hymns, but now the world needs them desperately, and it needs that despised Bible as well. For in the Bible, and there only, is found the chart to tell us where we're going on this rough and unknown ocean. The day when Christians should meekly apologize is over. They can get the world's attention not by trying to please, but by boldly declaring the truth of divine revelation. They can make themselves heard not by compromise, but by taking the affirmative and sturdily declaring, thus saith the Lord. End of quote. Isn't that a good, a good statement to begin the new year? We often feel as though the world pushes us into a corner, backs us into our convictions instead of being more on the offensive, instead of giving to the world what it really needs to hear. Those, of course, when I say world, I mean those we come in contact with. It's not practical if we're not talking about real connections with people and looking daily for an opportunity to speak up in a world that's just gone in many ways wacky. And um, many are feeling this. Many are sensing this. And they, I had a discussion this morning even uh, with one of our brothers here who said, you know, oftentimes they, we get the impression that maybe it, it, it's been all about COVID and, and so on and however, however serious and real that's been. But if you start looking that on, on every side, it seems as though there is a shifting and it feels almost like the ground is shifting beneath our feet as we watch how the world, its, its media mechanism, um, the shiftiness of political movements and jockeying for power. When we see all these things going on, we have this sense the world is really uh, teetering, if you will. And so here we are, and we're God's people. And we've been given a foundation that cannot be moved. There is no other foundation that hath been laid but that of Jesus Christ our Lord. Died on the cross, buried, and conquered the grave, and rose again, and sent his apostles out into the world. And now the gospel has gone forth to all the nations. And we are living in not only have we always been living in the last days, because from a biblical standpoint, the last days were from the resurrection forward until his second coming. But there is a sense in which he told us what things would look like and what we would begin to sense as his people when we came to the last of the last of the last of the last days. 
And I suppose preachers have been saying these things from, uh, for generations. And when upheaval happens and uncertainty takes place and wars break out and so on. In fact, you know, Jesus said one of the signs would be wars and the rumor of wars. And so I heard the statistic the other day uh, by a reputable uh, uh, student, doctor of these things. He said presently, think about this, presently, as we sit, there are 134 wars that are ongoing. Now, you'd say, well, wait a minute, the media hasn't told me about all those wars. Well, of course not. It doesn't fit their purposes and doesn't fit their narrative and so on. 134 wars. Now, they're little ones, little countries, little smaller places. And then the rumors of wars would, I suppose we could call that cold wars. And in a very real sense, as internationally things are being shaken and countries are jockeying for power and position, there's a sense in which there are cold wars going on on every side. So it's a fascinating, and that's only one of the props the Lord said would be there as we reach the end of the age, the time preceding the glorious rapture of the church into the presence of God and, and then the uh, final the breaking of the seals that we sang about, who is worthy to break the seals. That's drawn from Revelation chapter 6, isn't it? And so here we are in this time. But Tozer says we need to now be on the offensive. We need to be more uh, assertive about our faith because our world desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel of Christ. And so we can't give out what's not within. You can't dispense what's not yours. And so, as you know, last week, we had a, a, a smaller gathering last week because of the holidays, but I emphasized the fact that the mailing went out and we provided you with a historic plan from Dr. or from Pastor Robert Murray McShane on how to read through the scriptures in a year. And uh, I'm not naive enough to think that every single person in the church will take up that challenge. It's a daunting challenge. It requires great discipline to read four chapters of the Bible per day. But some of us are going to take up that challenge, and I hope that you will consider it. And by the way, I'm trying to get to the message, but all of this is informative. <laughs> if you will go online, there's a site called Gateway Bible. Gateway Bible, and there are all kinds of, uh, it's, a, it's a Bible uh, site you can go to, but there you will find the, Mc, the McShane Bible reading plan, and it's laid out for you so that you can not only follow in the translation that you like, but you can even click the button for audio, and you can listen as you read. And uh, you can read those four chapters in, in just no time per day over your coffee in the morning or any time, whether you're a morning person or an evening person, but you can work through the Bible. And this week, uh, Marianne, and I think Terry gave her a hand with it too, I asked her to put this together, and I have 20 copies, and if we need more, I'll give you more. But as you know, the Bible is not written, you know, Genesis, Exodus, those books of the Bible are not necessarily chronological. 
And so, so sometimes when you're reading a book like Job or Ezra or the, one of the prophets, you're not sure where in time this individual falls. And so we've put together all 66 books of the Bible, and it's called The Time in Time. And for each book of the 66 books is a timeline that tells you main events that are taking place so that you can know where the prophet Isaiah lived and at what time he lived and what was going on in Israel and in Babylon and so on. It gives you just in brief several different um, chronological events so that you can frame where that book of the Bible fits. And I have 20 copies of these, and um, I know we'll probably have a mad dash to the front to get them at the end, but I'm going to set them up here, and uh, they're there for you, and if we run out of them, we'll make some more. But Marianne, thank you so much for putting this together for our church. But these are something you can just, you can when you start a new book, when you come to Nehemiah and you're wondering, okay, where does Nehemiah fit in the scheme? You'll be able to read that and say, oh, okay, this is, it was when they came back from Babylon after 70 years in captivity. And now I understand what's going on and, and where they fit. So it's real simple. Some study Bibles have this kind of thing, but this is all within reach, all 66 books. So that's for you, no extra charge. So I'll, I'll just, uh, let's see, maybe Josh, I could give it to you and and you can get one from Josh after, after the service. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. All right. Well, the title of this morning's message is Soil Samples for the Coming Year. Because it's all about the, the quality of the soil. Uh, if you want to know about good soil, swing by Lauren and Patty Gunther's home sometime somewhere around June, and you will be shocked at how beautiful a garden, and not only a garden, but a flower garden, and shrubs. It's one of the most beautiful places even in town, and I'm not sure about the magic of what Lauren and Patty do with their soil, but they have soil that won't quit, and uh, it's beautiful over there, but it's all about the soil and the conditions of that soil. And our Lord tells us a story, and I know this is familiar, but sometimes he took that which was most familiar to the people in order to open their eyes to that which was foreign to them. A reality outside their perception, and he took the most familiar things from the first century and he used them to, to teach, to unlock, to reveal to expose them to reality and truth outside the familiar. And so this morning, we're looking for a few moments at a parable that's quite familiar. We're looking in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Can you imagine it? I was thinking to myself, if, if there was such a thing as the spiritual moral EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, were they to go across our country and do a diagnostic quality check and sample of the soil of the soul of every person in our country, what kind of soil samples would they come up with? Spiritually speaking, what quality of soil would they find? And were the Lord to evaluate us as a family, as God's people, 
What kind of samples would he come up with if he were to sample my soul and your soul in terms of its quality and receptiveness to the Word of God? Well, as we look at this this morning, uh, the first point I want you to see, and this is such a simple approach to this because I know it's familiar to most, the first thing I want you to see is the parable that Jesus told. In Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, just follow along with me. We don't have it up on the screen, so you're going to need your Bible or just listen carefully. Beginning at verse 1 of Mark chapter 4, he began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. Can you picture that scene? The crowd was too great. They were pressing him up against the shoreline, and so he borrowed a boat and shoved out into the water and anchored down where he could speak to the people, knowing that it would create a natural amphitheater that his voice would carry across the water and they would all be able to hear him. And so he began to teach them. And in verse 2 it says, And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. You know, sometimes I miss the simplest of things. Can you picture that? You're standing there on the shore with this great crowd. The Son of God pushes out in a boat into the water, and he stands, and further, for a moment there's just silence. And the first thing out of his mouth is, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And he was sowing. Some seed fell beside the road, and birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right at the outset, like many of the Lord's parables, there was an element of shock effect in his parable. And I read this some time back, I believe it was Dr. MacArthur's commentary on Mark, but he said he'd done a study on first century agriculture and discovered that a bumper crop, I mean the bumper crop, the envy of all the other farmers, would have been a crop of 7.8% increase. That's the best that you could possibly hope for. 
And when Jesus said that this good soil would produce a crop of 30, 60, and 100-fold, it had almost a ludicrous sound to it. That's ridiculous. No one has ever heard of such a thing, of a harvest of that plenty. And so there's a shock in it. You know, the Lord, the Lord Jesus was the master teacher. None ever like him. Incredible in the way he could take the familiar and use it to make clear and to make exposed and to make understandable that which is foreign to us. The spiritual world of God's kingdom and of his grace. The realities of the kingdom of God are foreign to us until the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and awakens us to the reality of the Lord and his power and greatness and might, his kingdom. And we come alive to him. He used, and you know this, he would take the familiar. He, would, he used the sun and wind, and water, and fire. He would use a hen, a chicken, a grain of mustard seed, maybe a lost sheep, or a woman sweeping her floor, or a penny given for a day's wages, or a marriage ceremony, or a lamp, or a basket, a fish, some bread, a snake, a stone. He might even use a basin of water and a towel to teach, to expose and to make clear that which is foreign to us. He took the familiar. You know, one of the things that I look for, and I'm so grateful for our, the teachers that God has raised up in our church. We have some excellent teachers in our church and who have a heart for our young people and our kids. And by the way, it's about time that we got things back up and going again. It really is. We can do it in a safe way while the vaccine is vaccines on its way, but we can we can create environments where our kids can gather and start being taught the word of God on a regular basis. Don't you think it's about time that we got back at what we need to be doing? I, I believe that. But our, one of the things I look for in a teacher is, do they think in terms of analogies? Do they think in terms of illustrations? Do they think like Jesus in terms of parables? When they are trying to teach something, are they able to take something familiar and bring it over next to something that's not so familiar to clarify it? And that's one of the signs I look for in someone that teaches the word. Can they use illustrations and analogies to uh, clarify and make more clear the word of God and the truth of it? Well, anyway, the parable is there and, and, and Jesus tells this parable. And then the second thing that we see in the movement here, and by the way, this parable appears in Matthew chapter 13 and also in Luke chapter 8. So, all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all include this parable. Well, 
the purpose Jesus gave for the parable. Why did he teach in parables? In verse 10, we read, As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, get everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. In this purpose statement for his parables, Jesus basically gave two. A parable is to reveal truth to a heart that is open to me. But a parable is also designed to conceal the truth from those who are only superficial, who are only curious, or who have already rejected me, like the scribes and Pharisees and those of their ilk. And so there is both grace in the parable for those who have eyes and ears, but there's also judgment upon those who do not. Those are the two reasons, it seems to me. And um, one of the things about this, if you're a Christian, and I know most of you know the Lord and trust him, do you have any idea? Do I have any idea how privileged we are even to live in the time in history in which we now live? uh, Let me just read this to you. I don't want you to have to turn to it. But listen to what Jesus said. It says in Matthew chapter 13, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus answered, "Uh, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. And then Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and their ears, with their ears they can scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return to me, and I would heal them. Now here's the verse I wanted you to see. If you know Christ, and the Spirit of God is within you, and you've come to love his word and trust in him as your savior, and you can sing these songs with robust confidence because these songs are true of your own heart. Listen to what Jesus says concerning you. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets 
and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Isn't that amazing? That's how the Lord feels about your heart, the soil of your soul, when it's good and receptive to him and to his word. He calls you blessed. He calls you the envy of the Old Testament prophets. See, you don't think of yourself that way, do you? You're just a struggling Christian like me. But, but the Lord says those under the new covenant and in this age of, of, the, of the gospel, the full-orbed gospel of my grace and power and mercy to save, this powerful gospel that you've embraced and believed and has changed you, this mighty gospel has made you the envy of Old Testament prophets. Isn't that amazing? To me it is. I, that's just stunning to me. Well, the point Jesus made, that's the third Verses 14 through 20, look at it with me. Actually, verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? And how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. The first, the first kind of soil sampled, and Jesus diagnoses the kind of soil it is, is the unresponsive roadside soil. The seed never even penetrates. The evil one snatches it away. Then secondly, in verses 16 and 17, in a similar way, the Lord said, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. The second kind of soil is the superficial. The superficial stony soil with no root. And then in verse 18 and 19, we have the worldly, the thorny soil. Look at verse 18. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So out of the four kinds of soils, um, three-quarters of them, three of the four, end up being unfruitful. Unresponsive, superficial, and worldly. But it's the fourth soil that is so dear to the heart of Christ, so precious to him, Soil that's receptive to the truth of his word. Look at verse 20. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 
30, 60, and a hundredfold. I know it seems, uh, those are, seems like enormous amounts of fruit to be multiplied from a single seed. But I've seen it in real, I've seen it in my actual human experience. Because each year, at the, toward the end of uh, the fall time, Lauren and Patty call me up and say, you need to come over and pick some of our cherry tomatoes. And I'll tell you what, this 30, 60, 100 fold, that's a reality when it comes to Lauren's cherry tomatoes. My goodness, they are drooping. They're laying in the ground. The, the branches are hanging over. There are they look like grapes. There's clusters of these. And they are so delicious. One seed, one single seed produces that bush. And when I say, we're not talking about a little plant. We're talking, some, some of his are, they look like shrubs. And uh, Lauren, they're amazing. They really are. And delicious. That's what Jesus is talking about here. But some people call this the parable of the sower. And some people call it the parable of the seed. But I really think that the emphasis here is the soil. Don't you? Yes. It's the soil. And so, Lord, grant us good soil in the coming year. Good soil for your word. The world is going to go its way. It's going to do what it's going to do. But in the midst of this, we can stand strong. We can be assertive. We can take more of an offensive role in our culture and in our little area of the world and stand tall for the truth of the gospel of Christ. Can't we? No more being backed into a corner. We've always, Christians have always been surrounded and outnumbered. That's not new. What's new is that believers are backed into a corner and go into seclusion and hiding. We're not to be that way. We have nothing to be ashamed of. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Right? Because it's the dynamite, the dunamis, the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So it's interesting when you, and I'll close with this, when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you get, a, you get a rounded picture of what this good soil is. When you look here at Mark, he tells us that these are those who hear the word and they accept it. They welcome it into their, into their hearts and minds. They embrace it. And then in Matthew, 13, Jesus says they hear the word and they understand it. The lights come on. There's real perception. They get it. And then when you come to Luke's gospel, chapter 8, Luke says something slightly different. He says that the good soil are those who receive it into an honest and good heart and they hold it fast. They make it their own. It, it takes on a life of its own within their very lives. So they accept it, understand it, and embrace it. And, you know, the Apostle Paul is an example of that, isn't he? First, he opposed the gospel and stood with 
cloaks at his feet as Stephen was being stoned. Later in his opposition to the gospel, he is broken by the power of Christ and the gospel and is led by hand blind into Damascus. And then as time went along, he began to learn the gospel and his understanding was opened. In fact, he went away to Arabia for three years just to study and understand who Christ is in light of the Old Testament that he knew so well. And God was opening his eyes. And you know what happens with Paul? The same thing that has to happen with you and with me. He began opposing the gospel. And most of us in this room at one point or another opposed the gospel. We opposed Christ. There was hostility toward God within us. But then God broke that. And he opened our eyes and our heart. And as we progress and grow, we finally come to the book of Romans. And you know what Paul says? He says the most amazing thing. It's not only the gospel that's the, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God, the gospel of of grace, the gospel of truth. But at some point in Paul's journey, finally he said, according to my gospel, the gospel that's now mine. Why? Because the soil in my life, God has changed it. God has enriched it. And he's made it so fertile that not only did I accept the word, understand the word, but I hold it fast and the gospel is now mine. And Paul could say, this gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms people's lives when they turn and trust in him, it's my gospel. I'll die for this gospel. I will take this gospel through time and into eternity. It's that precious to me. We have, didn't he say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 4, he said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What treasure? Well, the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's ours. Aren't you glad that you can say, this gospel that I once opposed is now mine. I love this message. Tell me the old, old story. Right? And those who love him, they don't mind hearing it over and over again because it's a treasure. Well, um, we've run out of time, and, um, but I, I want to put forth that challenge. And know, dear believer, know this. Jesus calls you blessed. Blessed because your eyes see, your ears hear, and your heart understands the truth of the gospel of Christ You've come to know him and love him. And he calls you blessed. And he says you would be the envy of the prophets of old. Because they did not see. They longed to see what you see. They longed to hear what you hear. They longed to embrace what you've embraced. Because it's going to carry you from this life all the way home to glory. But I just want to put out, you know, I'm not, I, I know that, some of you may have other approaches. I know Kathy is doing a special discipline that she's doing in the Word this year that she's committed herself to. And uh, there's all kinds of approaches. But if you don't have one for the coming year, this you're only three days into it. I mean, you can catch up in 30 minutes. But again, go home and get online and go to Gateway Bible. 
and you will find the McShane plan. And you can read it and listen to it at the same time, which is really valuable. Uh, back in school years ago, I used to do that because I was so tired. I just couldn't read on my own uh, another, you know, five or six more chapters at one in the morning. And so I would put it on audio. And so I would get it through the eye gate and through the ear gate at the same time, taking in the Word of God. And it's really quite easy. And it keeps you moving. And when you're listening and reading, your, your mind doesn't tend to wander. And so you get more out of it. And so I just encourage you this year, wouldn't it be something if this church body, imagine that, four chapters a day, and we could do it, and we'd come together on Sundays and think of the richness in the soil of our hearts and lives if all of us were spending that time, seven days uh, four chapters, and then we'd come back together and think of the richness that that would bring to us all and the stability that would bring to us as well. I uh, know I mentioned last week that Patty Gunther had read through and Patty had said, I asked her if it was uh, rewarding. And she said, oh, yes, and it's time to do it again. And so um, Ezra chapter 2 was a little slow going, I must say. Um, <laughs> Anybody have trouble with those names like I did? <laughs> but it's worth it. And, and when you read something like that, you think, well, what did this do for me? If nothing else, it lets you know that the Word of God is accurate. Why else would they number every single one of those tribes? They numbered them, every single one that returned from Babylon back to Israel. That just lets me know they were given to scrutiny and to accuracy. So it reminds me, that I can trust my Bible and the truth of it. Well, my brothers and sisters, it's a new year. And I hope you'll take up the challenge and read the word. And, and uh, just don't get discouraged if you happen to miss a few days. It's all right. You know, just don't give up. Don't throw the towel in. You know, don't go down for the count. Get back up and get started again and, and stay at it. I know stuff happens, life happens, and, and sometimes we get a little bit derailed, but you can get right back on it. And how wonderful this time next year to come together and have a handful of us that traveled through the scriptures throughout the year. Amen?